Welcome to Appearance Matters, the podcast, the appearance psychology podcast brought to you by the Centre for Appearance Research, a world-leading research centre based at the University of the West of England in Bristol, investigating everything related to the psychology of how we look. I'm Nadia. And I'm Jade. And this month's episode is on body hair and body image. I'm really excited for this episode. Definitely got a summer vibe to it. My legs are out. Look. They are. A little bit hairy too. Well, gorgeous. Gorgeous hands. Mm. Oh, thanks, nearly showed you my bikini line there, Jay. It wasn't intentional, but relevant. But relevant. Lovely shorts, but a bit much. Thanks, so, Nadia. I know. You know me, not shy. Um, but I'm glad we're talking about body hair because we don't actually talk about it very much. Um, but being smooth and hairless in certain places, particularly for women, is a huge part of societal appearance ideals and expectations. And I think many women carry a bit of shame for being a little bit hairy. Yeah, it's so true. Listeners can't see, but I'm, I'm nodding in agreement yeah. towards that. Um, for many women, it's a constant battle between them and their body hair. So this is even more heightened during the summer, like right now, when your pubic hair essentially becomes a bikini line. Right, and I know loads of people who won't go swimming or women in particular who won't go swimming or wear bikini on the beach if they haven't attended to their bikini line Mm -hmm. which is an example of how we're conditioned to think about body hair affecting our simple fun life activities things we enjoy yeah. yeah so given the disproportionate burden on women when it comes to body hair we will be focusing most of this episode on those of us who are female presenting yeah. Makes sense. Mm. So as neither of us are experts in this area, we are going to be joined by Dr. Victoria Clark, Associate Professor here at the University of the West of England, who is an expert in body hair. She is indeed. And it is a jam-packed episode. So let's hope that it's not too long and we have to shave it down. <laughs> <laughs> that was uh, one of your specials, Jade, wasn't it? That was definitely, it was plugged. I put it in there yeah. on purpose. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, great. Let's uh, let's get started Let, with the episode. On that note. Yep. <laughs> so I'm not going to get into the anatomy of body hair because <laughs> basically it's not helpful here. Um, but it goes without saying, our bodies develop hair naturally all over. That's the legs, arms, head, genitals. Like I said, basically everywhere. And this is natural. If this wasn't a natural thing for our bodies to do, then it just wouldn't happen. That's simple. Right, and uh, thanks to capitalism and the patriarchy and general oppressive societal beauty standards. Mostly put. I know, right. <laughs> um, it's like an expectation now that women have like, removed their body hair in certain places, so like under their arms, on their legs, between their legs, mm-hmm. on their face. Um, hair removal is so intrinsically tied to femininity. Side note, and you'd like this one, Jade, because I was listening to a really interesting discussion on Call Your Girlfriend, you know, my all-time fave pod, yeah. between Amina Arte So and guest Mona Chalabi, who's a data journalist and does loads of incredible things. Well, she does these really incredible illustrations to help visualise data, like they're really like cartoons type thing. That sounds anyway, pretty awesome. She's got a great Instagram, I'll link to it. Shout out. Um, <laughs> fan over here. But anyway, they had this really in-depth conversation about facial hair and Mona describes it as the last frontier for women, which I can totally relate to. Like in some circles, it's kind of like it's kind of become cool. Like some women are like growing out their like armpit hair or their leg hair, but like is it okay to have like chin hair and a moustache for a woman? Like that is like it feels mm. too much. Uh, it's like totally different different realm. But it's like it's a really interesting discussion. I'll link to the whole episode in the in the show notes because she was also saying something about like cisgender privilege and the fact like part of the hair removal process is kind of a, about presenting as yeah. being a woman and like maintaining that. Because I think if a woman, a cisgender woman, like did have like a lot of facial hair, 
Yeah. She said something about like getting that double take, and she's like, I don't want that double take. And I was like, oh, oof, this is like hard. Like this is this is full on. on yeah. Yeah. Well, actually, a little bit of a spoiler here, but on the note of. Um, the dyeing of underarm hair. Yeah. That's something that Victoria mentions in her interview. So just a little spoiler for the listeners there. Mm, that she does yeah. actually speak about that. So that's really oh, interesting yeah. to link to that. Um, and I'll definitely check that out. It's kind of wild to think about the lengths that we actually go to um, to remove our body mm. hair, even though it's, like I said, completely opposite to what our bodies actually naturally do. I know, and it can be painful, right? Have you, like, do you ever wax? Like, ouch. Little, ouch. little point here. I have never waxed oh have you not ever i'm a shaver but i definitely that i just that sounds (laughs) that sounds painful (laughs) i've got a very low pain threshold also so like all of that and uh you know getting like threading done also i have had that excruciating excruciating yeah but also so you've got the pain factor but also money time effort yeah the anxiety of like oh i'm going swimming or on a date or i have a smear test and like have I like that build up? Yeah, mm. I'm not. Am I ready? Am I and prepared? It, is it, yeah, complete. That, yeah, the preparation. Yeah, I know. Right, I know. and the anxiety, the build up to it all. But anyway, Jade, I know you've been looking at a couple of studies um, in yes. prep for this. So, what does the research say in terms of why women remove their body hair? Yeah, aside from some of the things, great things we mentioned, I found a study conducted by Marika Tigman and Susanna mm-hmm. Hodgson in 2008, and they found that Australian women remove their leg and underarm hair mostly to look more feminine and attractive. And also, just under 50% of women that they asked removed all of their pubic hair um, and found that they did this for sexual attractiveness and for self-enhancement. So this was things like feeling better and more in control of your body. Mm-hmm. Oh, so kind of like what we've been saying before, although I thought the sense of control thing is interesting. I wonder if it's because it's something that you can like sort out quickly in terms of your appearance, like you can't change your weight like that. Like, yeah, you... I want, I don't, like, I don't know. Yeah, like I say, I think it's an important question about the accessibility of being able to change that part of your appearance yeah. quite rapidly. Um, and I think it, as well, it's a strange juxtaposition where especially women feel like they're making this active choice this Mm. decision to remove their body hair however it really couldn't be farther from a choice the repercussions of not removing body hair are so high that it actually makes it not a choice it's more of a pressure Mm -hmm. um so this explains why women were more likely in this study to remove their pubic hair if they had a sexual partner because the fear of shame and negative reaction is higher for them which isn't control in fact like, like we were explaining it's the opposite I do want to note something else about the study as well, though. Over 90% were white women, so the findings are basically reflecting why white women choose to remove their body hair. Right, good to, always good to flag that in a, in a research study. Um, so is there any research focusing on other ethnicities in body hair removal? Yeah, so definitely. I mean, there is a clear lack of research in this area in general on demographically diverse samples so like f- other ethnicities also social classes etc yeah like the standard critique of like body image research right, right. like psychology research probably social 101 science research <laughs> like how like all research probably indeed and i completely agree but i did find one study by andrea de maria and abby brenson in 2013 which looked at pubic hair grooming in american low-income women who either identified as hispanic black or white 
Uh-huh. Just tell me, what do they mean by grooming? Yeah, I think that's a really important question. I needed to look at that. This is any practice that results in modifying hair. So like shaving, waxing, trimming, also dyeing. Uh-huh. Okay. So what did they find? So, um, good question. I'm going to take this slow because there are a few points that need to sink in. Um, basically, they found that mostly all women, irrespective of ethnicity, groomed their pubic hair than not. I mean, I, I don't find that a surprise, really. And when comparing those who do groom their pubic hair, more black and white women groomed their pubic hair than Hispanic women. But... Hispanic women were more likely to wax than both black and white women. Similar to the previous study I just mentioned, um, the primary reason for pubic hair grooming was for a neater, cleaner looking pubic hair region, followed by the belief that pubic hair is unattractive, really. Right. And, and the idea around cleanliness and hygiene. I think that's, a, that's a big thing. I think we've spoken about this, like, just... Ourselves yeah. about this topic, Yeah. I think that's the idea, isn't it? That it's dirty or unhygienic to have hair in certain areas. Yeah, and this might be like TMI for this this podcast, but let's go. On the Call Your Girlfriend podcast, the conversation with Amina and Mona, they were saying, they said this exact point about the hygiene factor. And then it was like, what? And I think Mona said something about like, why does she view her body hair as unhygienic, but then... When she was like with a partner, it's no beginning. Not thinking about that guy, no. about the guy's hygiene around his body hair, you know? It's, it's so like, true. Again, how that's gendered. It's yeah. really and, and also about the focus on, as a woman, particularly your own body hair and focusing on that, you and your body hair in that situation and not your partner's or the person you're with. Right, so even if we take the like sexual nature out of it, if we just think of like, armpit hair, like mm. for a woman, there's the association of that being like unhygienic, but then for a man, like you the wouldn't eat, yeah, like you wouldn't like you don't question it, no, but and you like no one's going around being like, oh, he's got unhygienic armpits, quote that, <laughs> yeah, I mean, come on, think like, about it, isn't it weird? I think it's weird, I don't understand it, and yet. I shave my underarm hair because that's what I do because that's the pressure that I feel. Yeah, I mean, so do I. I, so. uh, I wouldn't say anything about hygiene, but you're right, it links to it so much. Mm. Okay, so back to the study. What they found was, regardless of ethnicity, it was common for most women to groom their pubic hair, primarily because of appearance. Um, but how women went about removing their body hair varied by ethnicity that's right isn't it essentially yeah Yeah. and I think that points to an important point about how a lot of the research has mainly focused on white women in body hair literature and we can't necessarily generalize these findings to all ethnicities to all you know demographics yeah and cultures right like I wonder how this plays out in like Asian and Middle Eastern women in different cultures around the world and different practices I think you know like how does religion come into it because that study was like US, wasn't it? So, yeah. like, I think that's like, so you have to kind of like contextualize the research. Yeah, and I um, think it's such a good point about religion that mm. is a really important thing to consider as well when you come to topics like this. Mm. So, I also want to mention there has been some more research on men and body hair. Oh, so there is some stuff on, on men and body hair. Yeah, and let's not neglect the men here because, you know, they are important topics regarding body hair and body image too. So I found an interesting paper by Yolanda Martins, Marika Tigman and Libby Churchett comparing body hair removal in gay and heterosexual men. 
Interesting. Yeah, so basically they assessed whether men had removed their hair on their back, buttocks and pubic region, and if so, why they chose to do this. Okay, so I I have a guess, but tell me what they found. (laughs) Yeah, I'm sure you do, Nadia. So like in the previous study I just mentioned, both gay and heterosexual men did or have previously engaged in removal of their body hair, so in the regions like the back, the buttocks, the pubic region. But men who identified as gay did this slightly more than heterosexual men. Is that that's, that's what, what you I thought? thought? You're yeah. nodding in agreement. Yeah. yeah. The main reason for both gay and heterosexual men to remove their body hair was for improving their appearance, which matches again the earlier study about the reasons why the women chose to shave their underarm and leg hair for appearance base right. reasons. Right. So it's like yeah, similar similar reasons. I just wonder how the difference is by like prevalence, like like how many men are, are grooming and engaging in like body hair yeah practices practices versus women. Versus women. I mean it it's the, nothing I found necessarily research not, not saying there's not research yeah. on it. But um yeah, I think by far women in society have a lot more pressures and repercussions. Right. Yeah. than men for not removing body hair. And in all, it's just a really complex picture because research can often miss the personal experiences. Like, one person might be a lot hairier than others. Might have different hair colour. Yeah. Like, or thickness. Like, mine's blonde and quite thin. Yeah, and so although I've got, like, dark skin and dark hair, my hair is very fine. It so, is. like, I know, like, some some people have got very, like, coarse dark hair and then so they're a lot more, uh, like, self-conscious of it. Yeah. I am because you can't really see it. For the listeners, you can't really see uh, Nadia's arm hair that she's showing me just to <laughs> contextualise this. No. I'm just making it up. But all these things are important factors yeah. and they make this a well, personal have, topic. Yeah, and you have like individual variation. Yeah. For sure. And there's also the social norm element like, like we mentioned. But I actually do know someone who can hopefully shed a bit more light on this subject and that's Victoria Clark. That's a very smooth transition there, Jade. <laughs> Look it's at you smooth. Go. Smooth, silky, silky. You've joined the world of puns, Nadia. <laughs> I mean, um, I, I don't even know what to say. <laughs> I've lost where I'm going with this. Yes, I mean. You didn't see it coming, did you? Can we transition to Victoria now? Because yeah, <laughs> that was beautiful. Let's go. Okay, let me introduce Victoria. So, Victoria Clark is an associate professor in qualitative and critical psychology here at the University of the West of England. Her expertise spans feminist psychology, human sexuality and sexual orientation, and body hair. Victoria, alongside her colleague Virginia Brown, is famous in the social science world Mm -hmm. um, because of the qualitative analysis method, somatic analysis. There's a paper that they wrote together back in 2006 that has been cited over 50,000 times and downloaded over 4 million times, which is huge. And when we say cited, it means that other people have like referenced it in their work yeah. and used that method. Mm-hmm. Um, so she's kind of like a big deal in, in, in that space. Massive. Like, hands in the air emoji. <laughs> <laughs> right, 100%. And luckily for us, Jade sat down with Victoria last month to ask some questions about body hair. So let's hear from Victoria. Let's. Hi, Victoria. Welcome to Appearance Matters Podcast. It's great having you today. Thank you for having me. You're very welcome. Um, So we're here to talk about body hair. And kind of the first question I have is, can you begin by telling us just generally um, about typical body hair practices and how perhaps body hair removal might have began to emerge originally? 
Well, I think most scholarship would say there's two key things that happened in history that led to body hair removal for women becoming a norm. Right. The first one was changes in fashion. Mm-hmm. So around the 1920s, when we start to see the flappers and the shorter dresses and bodies become more exposed, yeah. um, companies that make razors saw a commercial opportunity to market their products that had traditionally been for men to women. Mm-hmm. And they used words like smooth and feminine. Right. And so we start to see that association between hairlessness and femininity. And then the other big event that scholarship points to is the Second World War, which is crucial to so many things. But after the war, we've had several years of high levels of female employment mm-hmm. in traditional male jobs and men obviously fighting. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the war, we have men coming back wanting jobs and women who have got used to working outside of the home in traditional male employment. So in that context, we see this resurgence of very traditional gender norms and that affects appearance, hairstyles Mm -hmm. and body hair removal also becomes part of the story and becomes part of producing a traditional feminine body. And so that's when we have that initial interest in body hair removal with fashion changes and then the post-war period where we return to very traditional norms that's when it really takes off and starts to really kind of bed in yeah so I think it's fascinating because it's body hair is seen as so trivial yeah but it tells you so much about history about culture about gender about how we think about so many things so those are that's how it all got started and where we are now I think is in a really interesting point in history because there seem to be some kind of shifts going on both for women and for men so uh, until relatively recently the norm for women has been increasing hair removal Uh so removal of hair from the legs um, from the pubic area from the underarms and perhaps even from other areas of the body as well I've kind of heard like anything from the eyebrows down basically (laughs) kind of that idea of smoothness everywhere and that's kind of uh, yep. happened more recently, but then there's other... Yeah, but I think even that has changed. Because yeah. I think, so I'm 45, when I was 15, we removed our hair, and I'm pointing to my lower thigh area, <laughs> down, and our underarms, and that was it. Yeah. That was all you removed. Yeah. And there was one girl in my class who everyone whispered about the fact she removed her arm hair and we thought she was a bit weird. I mean, bearing in mind that the people I'm talking about are white Mm -hmm. and so probably associated with having kind of lighter kind of hair. And this was a a white girl that kind of removed her hair, which is why we thought she was a bit weird because she was blonde and so wasn't very hairy and she was removing her underarm hair. And then when I ask my students now in a lecture I teach on body hair, you know, what's normal for you and your friends, Mm. it's like you say everything from the eyebrows down kind yeah. of goes. And so in a relatively short period of time, a lot of we, yeah, we see even more hair needing to be kind of removed from the body. So, But then again, there's been that very recent shift that's really well documented on social media for not removing underarm mm. hair mm-hmm. um, and dyeing it funny colours. So yeah. there's loads of wonderful pictures on Instagram of people with unicorn underarm hair. Yeah. Um, but even even though that's sometimes presented as a trend for hair retention, it is quite specific areas of the body. Yeah. So pubic hair has gone. It has just gone. It's gone completely. Not for older women, but for younger women, pubic hair has gone. Mm-hmm. And in a really short period of time. And leg hair 
is irretrievably unattractive. But body hair, um, underarm hair, sorry, has made this kind of comeback mm -hmm. as something that can be retained, that can be um, sexy, that can do identity work, that's great for Instagram if you dye it all different kinds of colours. So yeah. there's this kind of shift going on. I'm not aware of any academic research that's caught up with that yet. Mm -hmm. There is some consumer research that suggests that young women are far less likely to remove body hair, but it doesn't look at kind of the areas of the body. Yeah, more specifically. So, yeah, so I think that's an area where we need some research to understand that trend and what's going on and what it's all about. I've done some research with young people where I've got them to write stories, and I've got them to write stories about a woman deciding to stop removing her body hair and in those stories what comes across is this idea of naturalness being a natural mm -hmm. natural woman and the consumer research certainly points to um, trends like clean eating and clean living as being bound up in this new trend for for retaining some aspects of kind of body hair so I think that's an area that's really that's interesting. interesting for future research yeah kind of like the naturalness of, yeah yeah keeping those things that should be there also with regards to your research as well Victoria and um, why women and then increasingly men engage in body hair removal um, is there any things that have come out in previously such as to regards of why they have previously removed their hair body hair I think for me there's the things participants are willing to tell us mm. and then there's what is I get from looking at the data so I think what people are willing to tell us, particularly for women, where there's far more research, is that it's about being feminine in an acceptable way. That that, I think, is probably the strongest theme in women's responses. Um, and that's something, as a body hair researcher, I think is, is, does reflect kind of the broader context. What people aren't willing to say is that they're conforming to social norms. Mm. They're happy to say that other women are doing that, yeah. but they're not happy to say that they're doing that. But obviously, from my perspective, there's huge pressure on women to remove their body hair, mm -hmm. although there's some shifts around that. Um, and so conformity is, is the easier choice. It's really hard to do things that aren't normative. Yeah, It's a really hard choice to make. I think when I teach undergrads about body hair, they will often tell me, well, it's just a personal choice. And I try to get them to think about the fact that if you choose to remove your hair, that's a fairly easy choice to make. Okay, you've got to buy razors or go to a salon and get waxed or whatever. But there are no social penalties for that. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you retain your hair, you're going to feel incredibly self-conscious. People are going to stare. Mm -hmm. They will comment on it. And so that becomes a much harder choice to make. So the idea that it's just a personal choice, although that's often what participants will say in hair removal research, that it's just a choice, I think it is more complicated. And then it's about social norms, it's about femininity. Ideas of cleanliness often come up a lot, that it's cleaner. Right. And so sometimes body hair is associated with kind of dirtiness, where, as scientists will tell us, yeah. hair serves a purpose. Pubic hair particularly serves a purpose. Um, and so it's technically your body's cleaner. If yeah. it's hairy, it might be a bit sweatier or stinkier. I don't know. 
what the research says about that, but it will technically be cleaner. Yeah. But it's a felt cleanliness. So there's something socially dirty about body hair, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think that's something that often people would mention and say, oh, it's cleaner to not have um, body hair. But if you think about your eyebrows and eyelashes, they're there to stop dust and dirt mm-hmm. getting into your eyeballs, which is going to impact your health. Yeah. Um, so it makes complete sense that body hair is a way to protect yeah. parts of the body from, yeah. from d- like dust and germs and all those things. So as a psychologist, I'm fascinated with that felt sense of dirtiness yeah. and why body hair has become associated with dirtiness. And there is some indications in research that it's often a kind of racialized association as well. Right. So US psychologist Brianne Files has done some brilliant work um, on body hair. And she's looked at the experiences of um, students of colour and she talks about the fact that for some um, Latina students, Mm. um, there's a stereotype of, for example, a dirty Mexican. And so um, young women who've decided to uh, retain their body hair are told by their mothers that, Mm. you you know, people will look at you and they will see a dirty Mexican. So there is some kind of racialisation going on around there with that kind of dirtiness as well. But that's... Yeah, it's fascinating that it's a psychological dirtiness rather than an actual, literal, physical, biological kind of dirtiness. And I think in terms of, as well, pubic hair, you can't avoid the fact that things like media and pornography and all other aspects like that have played a massive impact in that shift. Yeah. Um, And that kind of effect that it's had is definitely, it's got links there, hasn't it, for sure? Absolutely. I mean, I think for me, that's probably the number one influence on pubic hair removal Mm. is seeing the kind of hairless um, pubic region and that being seen as kind of desirable, which has triggered all kinds of Mm. new pressures and expectations for women, not only about removing um, body hair, but having labia that look symmetrical and neat and tidy. And so that plays a hand in the rise in um, um, requests for designer vagina, as it's called cosmetic surgery and labiaplasty and stuff yeah. like that. So there's all kinds of impacts coming from removal of pubic hair. It's not that that sort of is the end of the story, that it triggers these other kind of appearance concerns as well. For sure, I think that's a very valid comment. And I mean, we've mentioned as well, Victoria, you've mentioned previously about kind of some of the consequences, the cons being a lot more when you retain body hair versus if you decide to remove it. So I just want to kind of talk a bit more about some of the consequences of what might happen if body hair practices are not followed for a kind of men or women. I mean, I, I'm going to talk about my own experience because I, I stopped removing my body hair when I was 21. Right. I stopped wearing makeup and I stopped removing my body hair and I thought, I just, I don't want to spend time doing this. Yep. I don't, I'm not interested in being um, the kind of woman that wears makeup. And, yep. um, and it was just a very pragmatic choice I don't want to spend time doing that mm-hmm. so um, for people who can't see me I'm fair I've got red hair and my body hair is very light and very sparse as friends will always point out to me when I talk about the fact that I don't remove my hair yeah but even I experience in the summer mm-hmm. when I'm wearing um, I don't know like cut off trousers or a shorter dress showing more of yeah, your body even though you can barely see my body hair I mean I think I'll show you <laughs> You can't, you can't see it, can you? Oh, no, just for the, <laughs> the listeners, you barely can see. Can yeah, see yeah. Even definitely. I get a sense of my hairy legs and feel yeah. slight kind of anxiety around it, even though I know it's barely visible and someone would have to get really close up to my leg to see it. To notice, yeah. So I think 
even for someone that is kind of critical of the oppressions that we face, Mm -hmm. that those kind of penalties exist, not necessarily from people saying horrible things to us, but we internalise the potential for those horrible comments. Yeah. That we kind of do all the horribleness to ourselves in a way because mm. we live in a world that is judgmental and critical and it's that fear um, of shame yeah. and being shamed by others yeah um even if they aren't doing it it's that idea that they might be mentally doing it without you knowing or and yeah. all those things that you blame yourself for when you shouldn't have to yeah it's, it's so powerful isn't yeah. it that's kind of internalized kind of sense of shame that kind of thinking about your body as being gazed upon, even when it when it isn't, is so powerful. Um, but uh, research as well shows the kind of penalties people experience. Um, really negative comments from friends, from family members. You know, for women, from their mothers, mm-hmm. um, from male partners, that they do get lots of kind of negative comments about their hairy bodies. So there are kind of clear penalties for it. I think for men, it's it's is different, and men, even though. The research suggests that men are increasingly removing body hair from particular areas of the body, that they have more choice and they have more flexibility. Mm. And there's still a sense that it is acceptable for men to have kind of a hairy chest. I mean, it's never acceptable for men to have a hairy back, but that, like leg hair on women, is seen as irretrievably unattractive. Um, But men do have more choice and more kind of flexibility. So I think there's less penalties for men when they... Um, retain or remove. I mean, this, the research I've done looking again at getting young people to tell stories about a man deciding to remove his body hair, there were clear kind of social penalties in lots of the stories. Right. Um, and because it's getting people to tell stories, they're often funny and entertaining. So it's things like having an extreme allergic reaction to the hair removal cream and um, collapsing naked in right. <laughs> the on the bathroom floor and the, you know this young man his parents having to rescue him and take him to hospital so it's not a literal penalty but it's a story in which there's a clear moral outcome and a consequence yeah and a consequence of men kind of trying to remove their body hair so i think where there might be judgment for men is removal of body hair right. in some contexts where that's still seen as kind of feminized and kind of not masculine mm. but you know masculinity is perhaps more than femininity always um mobile and changing and we're increasingly seeing the acceptability of more metrosexual forms of masculinity and the acceptability of more forms of of, you know male grooming men wearing makeup Mm -hmm. um the way that's kind of talked about and understood is very similar to kind of men removing their body hair so i think that will continue to shift and evolve for men but i suspect that men will always have the choice to remove or to retain with far less penalties than women have. Yeah, the picture for male body hair practices in general seems to be a lot more complex, but a lot more free-flowing in terms of lack of consequences for them, like you're saying. Whereas women, we have a lot more rules in some say, and a lot more consequences for not removing body hair, but that's possibly shifting, which is an interesting one, because for the question I have about what you think, Victoria, the future looks like in terms of body hair practices for both men and women? I just, 
I mean, I try to imagine because as a critical feminist appearance researcher, mm-hmm. you're spending a lot of time criticizing social norms and criticizing the restrictions they impose on people. And you spend far less time imagining what the world would look like without these social norms and expectations. And what am I aiming for? I think that's a much, much harder question to kind of articulate. But I would hope, and certainly what I want to try to achieve in a really tiny way in my research, is to kind of open up the conversation Mm. and create a context in which there are no penalties for producing your body in particular ways for retaining body hair and hopefully that the the kind of freedom and flexibility that men have women could have that kind of freedom and flexibility as well i i can't imagine in my lifetime that we will ever get there but um i mean we're recording this for um july when people are going to be on the beach in their swimwear and this will be very kind of present in Mm -hmm. people's minds particularly with the idea of being kind of beach body ready part and parcel of being beach body ready is for women is for having a hairless body and perhaps increasingly for men and particularly younger men Mm -hmm. is having a hairless body as well so it would be lovely to live in a world where you can go on the beach as a woman with hairy legs, with pubes sticking out from a bikini, and not experience kind of social penalties. But I think we're a long, long, yeah. long way off that. I think then in that case, like you were saying, Victoria, it's making that shift as well towards it being an individual's decision and making it so with the lack of penalties, it's down to that person whether they would like to do what they would like to with their body hair and yeah. not feel a pressure to do something. And But then also believe that they're having that own independent choice but they haven't basically it's yeah is that yeah. complex picture yeah that's that's where we are now that people mm. like to understand themselves as exercising choice but they're clearly as we all are bound by social pressures but you know if i think about appearance because the other thing i research as well as dress is you know my ideal would be where dress and appearance just become a terrain for kind of identity expression and play without kind of social penalties and free of considerations relating to I don't know money and class and race and all the rest of it I don't know if that will ever happen but then you know people can do what they want with their body hair they can dye it pink as a way of you know expressing themselves and that would be great yeah I think that's a great way to kind of end this. Um, And thank you so much, Victoria, for joining us. Such an interesting conversation. (laughs) Thank you very much. Cheers. So I really enjoyed that talk with Victoria. And I really like that she not only brought the research side, but the personal side and, you know, her experiences of body Mm. hair. And for me, I didn't mention at the time, but I really would like to mention this now. I did a third year module, Appearance and Embodiment, here at UE mm-hmm. um, in psychology. And one of the courses, courseworks they get you to do is to engage in some appearance practice, but fl- flip it on its head, really, to go right. against this, the societal norm. Okay. My one was I chose not to shave my body hair. And Victoria mentions about the disdain sometimes mainly women feel from their mothers. And just to highlight, my mum has been very accepting of appearances. She's a great woman. But I did not expect she was very much like, that's disgusting. 
why are you doing that? It's unhygienic, like what we oh, mentioned yeah. earlier. And I was really shocked. It actually made me feel a different way towards my body. And But I was in, didn't mind that I was having body hair. I just yeah. didn't like her reaction. And that's what made me feel rubbish, really. And so mm. I just, yeah, I wanted to share that because I, I think it highlights more that as much as it's deemed a choice and sold mm. as a choice to us, actually it's the reactions of others that can have a big impact on the way that we feel about us and our relationship with our body hair. Yeah, completely. And I think that transcends with all different types of, like, appearance standards, right? So whether that's, like, about your weight, about, like, how you present with, like, makeup. Yeah. What clothes you wear. Multiple levels. Lots of different different appearances. That was in winter as well. So summer, obviously, it's slightly more revealing clothes. You'd feel maybe you'd have a different experience. Well, yeah, like, if you're wearing tights all the time, like, and you're not shaving your legs, who knows? There you go. Exactly. Anyway. <laughs> Probably time to wrap up this Probably. episode. Yeah. Yeah. It's been great. Yeah. It's, it's been it's been yeah. It's been pretty hair raising, hasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> oh no, oh, no Toad. Yeah, that's right. Hair raising. I had to chuck raising. one more pun in there. You were, you couldn't let me win with my smooth and silky transition. It was beautiful in yeah. every way. Yeah, you did enjoy it. But one more. One Why more. not? Okay, well. Won't hurt. No, it doesn't hurt. doesn't hurt. <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to quit my day job, let's be honest. But <laughs> before we do head off, there is something exciting that we would like to tell our listeners. Oh, yeah. Well done for remembering. Um, So, we are at CAR pleased to announce that the 9th Appearance Matters Conference will take place in the beautiful city of Bath on the 14th to 16th of July 2020. I cannot believe it's going to be 2020 next year, just... Like, we're nearly there. Deep breath. I know. We can announce our two international keynote speakers. The first one is Carly Finlay, also an activist with lived experience of a rare skin condition from Australia, speaking about appearance activism. Actually got a picture of her on our wall at Carl. Yes, we do, indeed. And our second speaker is Professor Esther Rothblum from San Diego State University in the US, speaking about queer appearance. She also does weight stigma stuff, doesn't she? Yeah, she does. But I'll be interested to hear about Yeah, I wonder if she like does an intersection between... I mean, that would be really interesting, actually. Maybe we should tell her. (laughs) Can you please? (laughs) This is what Nadia and Jade would like. We request, please, Esther. Thank you. Yeah, thank you very much. (laughs) Um, And if you haven't actually heard about the conference before, it's the world's leading international conference for appearance and body image research, hosted by us at the Centre for Appearance Research. Yes, that's right. And if you're interested, we'll leave a link to the conference website in our show notes and we will make sure that we include updates here on the podcast too, so listen out for those. Um, and that's about it. That's everything. Well, it's great. been great, Nadia. Great, let's uh, go, go to the beach. Take our hairy legs and enjoy some cocktails. <laughs> Woo! <laughs>